Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders and using information technology to improve healthcare and healthcare services. With me on today's show are Lisa Lewis Person, Chief Operating Officer, Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, Pat Flanders, Chief Information Officer, Defense Health Agency, Captain Hassan Teta, Warfighter Health Mission Chief, Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, Department of Defense, Bill Tinston, Director of Federal Electronic Health Records Modernization, Thomas Long, Director of Federal Healthcare Verizon, Nick Saki, Principal Technology Strategist, Pure Storage, and Nicholas Svitz, Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. Well, I love as a former CIO, the conversions of IT uh, with uh, enabling the healthcare community, very important topic. Lisa, we're gonna start with you. Give us a, uh, an example of, of the progress that's going on in this uh, very important community. So we've made great progress uh, across the federal government. I'll specifically talk about what we have done in ONC over the last year. And for those who don't know, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT is responsible for regulating the electronic health record industry. We coordinate across the federal government and with industry in regard to health information technology programs and policies. And we also are the federal agency responsible for facilitating interoperability of electronic health records, health information technology in general, uh, and making sure that all of our health information flows in a safe and secure manner to where it needs to be when we need it most. And so we have done a few things over the last year. First, we published our federal health IT strategic plan. Uh, we worked with over 25 of our federal partners to put this strategic plan together. And so I wanna thank all of our partners for that work. We also released our final rule. It's the 21st Century Cures Interoperability Rule. And both of those uh, rule, that rule and that uh, document push us toward interoperability of health information. So the safe and secure flow of health information is critical to transforming how we deliver health care in America and ensuring better health and care for all of us. Pat, how about over at DHA? A lot of activity going on there. You all have really been on a journey over there to modernize that environment. Yep. Um, so, you know, the most exciting thing going is uh, our adoption of a commercial electronic health record. The name of that program is Military Health System Genesis. I don't run that, but in my area, I, I modernize the network. And with Genesis, it's, it's a fundamental change because um, with our legacy systems that the EHR is replacing, um, because it's a distributed system, it's all about local area network, where with Genesis now, we're reaching back to, you know, the cloud and we're uh, wide area metric, uh, wide area network centric. And so a uh, huge modernization there, we're replacing four legacy computer networks with one, it's called the medical community of interest. And with that comes a host of security tools, um, standard VLAN architecture, and it's really helping enable Genesis and make us a lot more secure. Captain Teta, how about over at the Jake? A lot of activity going on over there. 
uh, give us a, a, an outline, give us an update as to how the program's going. Thank you, Luca. The uh, program at the Jake is uh, very robust. Uh, you mentioned activity and my colleagues have talked about all the great things that are going on in their respective organizations. We are working with all of those organizations, including uh, the folks over at DHA to do uh, the great work of transforming the Department of Defense by leveraging AI. Uh, now that sounds like a very lofty title and lofty goal and vision, but under the leadership of General uh, Groen, uh, we are exactly doing just that. We are leading uh, AI adoption at scale. There are a couple projects I'll, I'll highlight as we go into this, uh, accelerating mm -hmm. joint AI capabilities. We're providing enterprise AI services, uh, and this is across uh, many different domains to include health, of course. And probably more importantly, and probably very exciting is we're creating an AI friendly ecosystem, you know, so that uh, folks will be comfortable with using AI. Uh, obviously, we are really at the intersection of where work, technology and data and people uh, kind of come together and uh, working with our respective partners to include even the, the, the VA and, and, our, and our commercial partners to bring to bear uh, this exciting technology so it can actually help uh, address some of the many challenges we have in healthcare and improve uh, the provision of care that we deliver to our warfighters and their families. Bill? Uh, tell us about uh, what's happening in regards to uh, the activity going on in regards to electronic health records. Oh, great. I'd love to. So Bill Tinston, director of the firm. So uh, the firm is, if you don't know, the organization that the, the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs had the foresight to set up when they recognized that they sort of backed into a joint program with the deployment of the electronic health record in DOD and the deployment of the electronic health record in the VA. Right? It's, a, it's a single common record about the patient, not where the care is delivered or who delivered the care. So they looked around and said, hey, we need somebody to look across this whole space. They created the firm. And then I've been fortunate enough to be the director of the firm. So what we've accomplished or what's happening right now with the firm builds on what Pat talked about, what Lisa talked about, what Hassan talked about, and lots of other stuff going on. Right. So the, the DOD side, Pat talked about MHS Genesis, the DOD side a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago at this point delivered Wave Carson. It was, uh, it was 150 locations. It was 12 states. It was, it was a ridiculously complex implementation and, and rollout of the health record across a huge swath of the Defense Health Agency. And Pat's infrastructure was all there to support it. Um, as we've been working with the DOD and the VA on the joint HIE or Joint Health Information Exchange, we've driven the DOD from 14% uh, interoperability with uh, with, with community care uh, electronic health records uh, to 65 and the, and the VA from 30% to 65. A lot of that driven by what Lisa was talking about, the rules and the, the, the good work that the ONC does in, in getting standards in place. We've also started to implement the fire standards uh, between the VA and the DOD and we're working with the commercial health information exchanges to get them implemented there. And that just brings an incredibly powerful improvement in availability and usability of the data in the various domains that we're getting the data so that we get the data that the provider needs for an encounter about a patient that's relevant, right? They can actually indicate up front what would be relevant. And because we're, we're engaging these fire standards to get the data, we can, we can bring that correct data back, present it in the workflow and make the experience seamless to the providers and the users of the health systems that we're supporting, which at the moment is the, the Department of Defense the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Homeland Security's Coast Guard. And I imagine there's opportunity going forward to bring other federal health care providers into the fold of the single common record. 
as we go forward. Thomas, can't do all this unless we have some great infrastructure out there, some great capabilities from our partners to enable these things to happen. So tell us what's uh, what's happening uh, from the Verizon perspective. Yeah, I appreciate it. There, there's been a ton of innovation, a ton of new connected medical devices uh, being developed over the past few years. I think the big change I've seen is I, I really feel that I, I see IT leaning in a lot more with the clinical side of the healthcare systems to understand how this medical technology is going to evolve and, and in the future, how IT can help enable these technologies. When you think about networks and bandwidth needed to operation technology, operationalized technologies such as virtual reality or augmented reality, it really is a monumental shift from what was needed in the past. I also feel the IT departments fundamentally understand the benefits of edge computing um, and their capabilities such as the lower latency and higher application availability, which maybe the clinical side might not have a great grasp of at this time. I think these technologies really open up many possibilities to improve care now as well as limitless potential use cases in the future as technology manufacturers continue to innovate new technologies. Nick Saki, uh, we've got to store all this data and there's a lot of data out there. Tell us how pure storage fits into this. The joy of this panel is having the opportunity to talk about the end-to-end -end life cycle of data from you know, the, the point of the patient all the way back to the infrastructure and then how uh, that data can be leveraged to improve uh, clinician practice, patient outcomes, and of course, you know, medical and, and follow-on research to support addressing everything from longstanding chronic healthcare issues all the way to you know, current crisis, pandemic, epidemic management and tracking. But as, a, as my colleague Tom Long said from Verizon, there is a monumental amount of data out there. And in order to leverage it and manipulate it, it's got to be at the point of need, much like patient care. Data has to be processed uh, throughout its life cycle. And what we build, of course, are the tools for manipulating that across the full spectrum of uh, patient-centered and, and health-based outcomes and practices. So everything from virtual desktop infrastructure to electronic healthcare record management to uh, telemedicine. And we've had a, obviously a tremendous year of growth across all of those practices. Um, but what we're seeing is really, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but tremendous acceleration in the ability to uh, take current data and make inferences and evaluations and assessments of everything from, you know, obviously the, the flow and expansion and then subsequent treatment and, and changes in the COVID pandemic population to a tremendous increase in the amount of telemedicine services that have been delivered uh, all across the nation within the federal government, state and local governments, and of course, private practices, which has fundamentally transformed the availability of healthcare to remote and underserved populations as well. So those, these things all work hand in hand. At the end of the day, infrastructure is about making data available to improve outcomes. And we've been very proud to partner with government and private industry across the healthcare space in order to be able to make that happen. And we've seen just tremendous change, rapid change in the quality and effectiveness of the care and the speed to insight uh, across the country. Uh, Nicholas Spies, how about at Snowflake? We have all this data now. We have to do something with it. Uh, tell us how Snowflake fits into that ecosystem. Uh, yeah, thanks, Luke. Thanks very much, and thanks for having me. It it all comes down to sort of um, what data is being used for and how it can be used by all the agencies and all of the, the wonderful initiatives that we've heard about for the last couple of minutes. 
The thing that I love most, Luke, is that everybody you talk to on the panel so far is talking about data and how they're going to use it and how they're going to share it. And that's something that two years ago, if this panel was held back in 2019, we would not have been having the conversation that mm -hmm. way. There's less sources of truth, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? We should only have one, but there's less of those going around these days, which means we're building things where the data can move freely from one agency to another because we're doing things like setting standards or building better libraries for our data, but we're also putting better platforms in place where that data can move seamlessly, not just between agencies, but between clouds, between countries when needed. And that's gonna make everything better from treatment to research and development of new vaccines, of new cures, of new treatments, uh, all the way down to individualized care. How much aspirin should you take, not based on your weight, but based on your genetic makeup. There's a lot of really exciting things that data is gonna to continue to do, uh, whether it's the good captain over there with his artificial intelligence, or it's you know Lisa developing a better health record interface. It's This is going to be where we're going over the next few years. And I'm so excited to see it. Fantastic. And uh, uh, speaking of the captain, Captain Tata, let's talk about uh, a specific program. We hear artificial intelligence in the medical community. I mean, that might actually make some people nervous. Is a, is a computer machine going to do my diagnosis? And I think in some cases, the answer is they already is. But tell us about uh, what's up at the Jake in regards to a specific program. Yeah, I, let me uh, let me highlight one specific program that's uh, really important and, and uh, really exciting. Our team right now, as we speak, are uh, just uh, you know engaging with our colleagues and partners in the Pacific Northwest. We just deployed what we call an artificial intelligence sort of application and solution at the point of care, uh, thanks to the great work of, of all the folks that talked on the panel that really enabled this moment to come to fruition. So we uh, delivered at uh, both the VA uh, and at the uh, military treatment facility, Madigan, and the uh, Puget Sound of VA. Uh, an augmented reality microscope that has an interface that has a computer vision module in it that has been trained on algorithms to help detect cancer. And we, uh, we, we deployed this with our, with our pathology colleagues there and some members from the Jake team and our product management team led by Captain Danielle Longhighland there. And what that represents, uh, Luke, is, is, is something that seems like, wow, that's like, this is uh, so futuristic, it's space age because the pathologists can look into this microscope, give it a slide in, and the, uh, the interface will draw circles around the pathology uh, and give them a clue into what's that, you know, into whether the abnormality is. And as a, as a cardiac surgeon, as a thoracic surgeon, one that works in cancer, you can imagine this is very exciting for us. Now that may seem like, wow, okay, what's the big deal? We just had this, you know, new technology, nice tool, little toy for the pathologist to, to play with. But what it represents is really the culmination of everything that everyone has just spoken about. That was 10 years in the making to get the data, to curate the data, to work with our colleagues in pathology, to work with our colleagues in surgery, to understand and to get the uh, correct sort of applications and algorithms in place, to put them into a, a system and an interface that could actually use computer vision to identify the cells and, and then to implement and deploy that. So it represents the tip of the iceberg, but a ton of work that underneath and underpinned all of that was data sharing was the accumulation of curating that data, was making the data AI-able AI is one of the terms that one of my colleagues in the VA likes to use. Uh, so that really represents sort of uh, a pioneering platform and that's just one of many and, and that's in the domain of warfighter readiness that as you can imagine will have great application and utility in the future. And it brings to bear everything that everyone talked about and it's bringing AI, the technology at the point of care to help improve the diagnoses and improve the care that the providers are, are, are delivering to, uh, to patients. 
um, you know, one of the things I like to, to, to tout is the military is always led in these domains. If you think about vaccines, if you think about blood uh, storage and blood banking, it's been the it's been the military. It's talk about electronic health records, you know, uh, the work that uh, Mr. Tinston and Mr. Flanders are working on. It was the, the military that actually started, uh, you know, electronic health records in the, in the very early, uh, uh, you know, uh, time of, of, of that technology. And now we're, we're just advancing and being the vanguards again in this other domain and new frontier, so to speak. So that's, right. one of, that's just one of many very exciting uh, projects, but I just wanted to highlight it because I think it represents really one of the uh, sort of apogees of all the things that everyone's just talked about. A fascinating case of a, a use case of uh, AI being used in, in, in an environment that uh, perhaps you wouldn't even think about. And, and you make a good point, two good points. One, that you're able to take that sort of from the Petri dish and get it into a full operational environment. And boy, nobody does it like the DOD to be able to take that and then be able to run it at scale, right? I mean, once it's sort of through the DOD gauntlet, you know it's ready for prime time. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Did you know the current Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays positions pure storage highest on ability to execute and farthest right on completeness of vision? It is all about managing the data, and Pure is dedicated to transforming the complexities of government IT by delivering a modern data experience. Check out the Gartner Report and learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We are committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about healthcare IT and the federal service, and uh, we're going over use cases. And Tom, I'm going to throw it over to you at Verizon. Uh, you're working with a lot of these agencies across the spectrum. Give us an example of uh, a specific program you'd like to highlight for the audience. Yeah, I appreciate it, Luke. There, there are so many different use cases that we've been working on with both the commercial and the federal healthcare systems over the past few years, whether that's the augmented reality solutions that we implemented within the VA innovation ecosystem, which allows uh, the uh, physician to actually look inside, uh, virtually look inside a, a patient's body to identify where where cancer may, be, may need to be uh, uh, removed, um, whether that's a zero rating of the VA video um, connect application that we did over our network so veterans can uh, can contact their physicians without using their data on their wireless devices. Mm -hmm. uh, we've really been working closely with uh, not only commercial, but also uh, the VA 
with their connected healthcare department on uh, telehealth devices and remote patient monitoring solutions. The, the one that we, is probably newest for us, so is uh, as a company, we've bought a company called Blue Jeans, and we've developed that video conferencing platform into a telehealth platform. And we've integrated that into a lot of uh, the common EHR systems that are available that are being used out there in the space today. Um, the cool thing about this is, is we actually created customer advisory boards and we're taking feedback from customers in regards to how we can continue to evolve this application over time to meet the future needs of our customers and their patients. Lisa, you know, we're talking about a lot of different pieces and parts of the ecosystem here, but it all starts with the North Star, as you pointed out at the beginning of the program and these standards and, and, and the strategy that has to be put in place so that we're all pointed in the right direction. Give us a specific example of some of the activities that you all have laid, the tracks that you've laid down that have really helped to enable all this capability to happen. Absolutely. Thank you, Luke. And I just first want to start by saying I take my hat off to my colleagues at VA and DOD and all the work uh, that you all are doing is just amazing work. And as the granddaughter of a World War II veteran and the daughter of a Vietnam veteran, I just want to say thank you uh, for the work that you are doing. Uh, as far as ONC, we really lay the infrastructure, as you've heard from my colleagues, we lay the infrastructure that allows the data to flow in a standards-based way. And so one specific example is our 21st century cures interoperability rule. And so as the provisions of that rule are starting to take effect, we're seeing a lot of what we have worked on for years, actually, to make this happen. So VA and DOD, the work that they are doing, that was from prior rules. What you are going to see in the future based on this rule is we require a standards-based, specifically FIRE-based which is fast healthcare interoperability resources-based APIs uh, so that we don't have to build, you know, a thousand different APIs in order to interface with different electronic health records. Uh, we also put in provisions in regard to information blocking. So we outlined the exceptions because it is our position that a patient, a person's information should flow in a safe and secure manner to wherever they need it to flow and give permission for it to flow. And so in our rule, we also address information blocking and specifically uh, something that you may be seeing in your personal lives is faster test results. So a lot of you are probably starting to see notices from your doctors that say you may get your test results, you know, sooner, quicker. Uh, just make sure that you are, are prepared to read your results. And we work to make sure information is available because we believe that information is power. It is the great equalizer. It allows us uh, individually as patients, as caregivers, to be able to be active participants in our care. And so our rules have an impact, not just in the government space, but across industry and in our lives personally. And so we take, uh, have considered that a great honor to be able to provide that infrastructure that the industry rides upon. Nicholas Spies, uh, let's talk about a specific program that you've been working on. I can't imagine there must be dozens of them uh, that you've been working on across the community in regards to uh, a good use case in respect to healthcare. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I, uh, you know, I, we've had so many programs that have been made more successful by, again, the data collaboration and researching piece. But mm -hmm. I want to focus specifically on the state of California's COVID response. Um, you know, in a very short period of time, COVID ramped up very, very quickly. And one of California's biggest concerns was 
not just where do we have the right materials to deal with this, but where is the spread actually occurring? What sort of activities are, are we seeing that folks will do that is more risk uh, or less risk? And so uh, they teamed up with Snowflake to build out an infrastructure that could very quickly respond and provide dashboarding for the governor and for uh, a lot of the officials out in the state of California, but also could report that information up to the federal government, to the CDC and to other states and counties. Uh, and the most important part of this and the part that I like the most, because I keep talking about data collaboration, is uh, their researchers in California were in a completely different cloud provider and a completely different area of uh, uh, the, the new infrastructure. So California had to be able to bring the data in locally to their cloud infrastructure because of contracting and procurement, but then also collaborate with somebody else on a completely different cloud, which in modern software as a service offerings like Snowflake, that's relatively simple and easy to do. So we were able to support the research as well as the response to COVID-19. We're very proud of that work. Pat, let's go to you and talk about uh, sort of the uh, the um, uh, the infrastructure piece of this. You said that you're you're, you're involved with uh, making sure that the networks there are reliable, secure, and available from uh, just a high speed capability. Give us a use case, uh, if you will, a program that you'd like to highlight along those lines. Sure. Yeah. There's just there's dozens, um, and you know, of course, with uh, with COVID and you know mass telework. You know, you, that was a real world test of was the new network going to work or not, and it did. But what I also instantly, I, wanna, I might add, yeah. Um, but, but I also want to highlight some of the software we built. Um, so we have something called the Military Health System Information Platform, and it is kind of the crown jewels of all data, all the medical data in the DoD. And, uh, you know, the way our agency was born, we had, you know, an Army repository, a Navy repository, an Air Force repository, one that was in the National Capital Region. And this combined all of them, shut down those data centers. And as of June of last year, it is now in the cloud at Amazon. And that all being in one place under one roof really enabled us to do wonderful things, tracking who had COVID, um, who was spreading, uh, and the vaccine distribution, those kinds of things. So uh, that, that's something that really came out well. And it came out so well that as soon as it was done, I gave it to Mr. Tinston's folks and now they run it. And it's going to endure as part of the, the uh, EHR landscape. Nick Saki at Pure Storage. Let's talk about a specific use case that you'd like to highlight in regards to um, healthcare in the federal community. Now, as we've discussed across this panel today, the, the volume and velocity of healthcare data um, particularly accelerated throughout the pandemic. And what we answered the call for among our, our partners within the federal government and in private industry and across the state governments is how do we help them maximize, shorten the time to value on that data and maximize the amount of analytics and applications that they can apply against that data. So in particular, um, at the outbreak of the coronavirus, there was a tremendous spike in uh, demand for uh, analysis and sequencing of the virus itself. And we were able to partner with uh, Health and Human Services and a couple of other uh, agencies and companies uh, to help increase the number of sequencing runs that they could perform per day, as well as do correlation and analysis of case data from across the country, and then helping to aggregate that data to produce uh, the COVID dashboards. And we were doing this all off of literally a handful of different um, systems. But to bring that data together and to be able to serve it to a disparate group of application processes to help 
everybody from scientists and clinicians to uh, policymakers have a unified view of that data and to be able to adapt their views of that data as the data changed really accelerated the, the acceleration of decision-making and uh, obviously insight and awareness to the nature of the disease and ultimately getting to a cure faster. So it's one of those things where we build probably the least visible thing on a car. We build the tires, but it's what enables the engine and the driver to be able to perform you know, tremendously well uh, in, in the race that is uh, for curing these tremendously uh, difficult diseases. Uh, so these are lessons that we learned from obviously cancer research and other areas of biomedical sciences. And of course, you know, our support for and partnership with Epic and with Cerner in terms of electronic health records, it's simply making the data move faster in huge in larger quantities to enable faster time to insight and faster response to uh, medical care requirements. Phil, how about uh, speaking of the data, speaking of the records, uh, you all, again, been on a great journey and a lot of success. Uh, give us a, a, a specific program that you'd like to highlight, an element of maybe the, the overall macro program that you're working on uh, that you'd like to bring to the attention of everyone. Oh, <clears throat> great stories being told. And I'll tell you, it's inspiring to me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a defense acquisition guy by history and trade, but as my beard turns gray, so I love programs and I like to talk about the specific programs and program successes because that's what you do in defense acquisition. You deliver a program, you manage cost schedule and performance and you get stuff there. But as I turn gray and as Nick brought automobiles into this, I'm going to give an example um, <clears throat> of what really excites me about what's happening in health IT and our support. I was at Costco the other day and I was waiting in line to get fuel for my vehicle, like everyone else was, because there was a breakdown in a fuel supply chain system, right? And I watched a Bentley pull up, and it was actually a Bentley. It was a young lady in a Bentley, and I was thinking, wow, she's got to wait in line with everyone else, because the problem is in the fuel supply chain, right? So generally, what our, our interface to the fuel supply chain as, as individuals is we go to the gas station with that's the most convenient, the lowest price, has the best fuel, whatever, and we go there. And we don't think about anything about the entire supply chain, chain that gets that fuel to us. And that's right. And that's what I'm feeling and seeing and hearing in this group, right? With the work that ONC is doing, with the work that the CIOs are doing, and the work that our, our industry partners are doing, we're getting all the capabilities here to make it about getting the data where it needs to be so that providers can deliver the right healthcare to patients and beneficiaries when they need to have it. So not talking about specific programs, not talking about specific use cases, just knowing that collectively, because we're all the IT people, right? We all do enterprise IT in some form or fashion, and we love to talk about it. But when, but when the people we're supporting just know that they're going to have what they need, and they're not worried about the name of our program, they're not worried about MHS Genesis, they're not worried about what the Jake is doing, and then they just know that they're going to get that that virtual microscope or whatever it was, that, that awesome uh, use case you said. When all of this ties together, when we're not spending months and years building the interfaces, we just know that all of these pieces are going to result in an operating fuel station, an operating healthcare delivery system that people can enter, make choices about where they want to enter and get the services they need and come out feeling better and get the record out of that. That's what excites me. And, and I know Luke, you asked for a very specific use case. I just was so excited listening to everyone else's because it all builds 
to this, frankly, magical use case. And I'll give this example. Um, on the DOD side, uh, building out uh, and doing their deployments, there was a need for max va vaccination capability, right? And as we deployed, um, I think it was three waves ago, they put this mass vaccination capability. It dropped vaccination times down, down to the floor. I think it cut them by 80% or something like that. Um, it was initially used at Camp Pendleton with new recruits coming in, uh, or, or actually it was, I think, uh, units getting ready to deploy, not new recruits. Um, but it also went to MCRD. And immediately that was turned around by the company that, that developed it with DOD to make sure to meet that DOD need. It's now part of a commercial product and it's supporting uh, the delivery of COVID vaccinations nationally. Well, internationally, frankly. And that's the kind of standards driven, infrastructure driven transformation I'm seeing in health IT. We're now just talking about the capabilities and we have providers and administrators of health systems that just expect us, the people on this call, to give them the capabilities they need. They don't wanna hear about programs. They don't wanna hear about IT. They wanna hear about what they can do and they wanna know that they can make the best decisions they can make without going to talk to the IT people and asking if they can deliver healthcare the way they need to. Captain, let me go over to you. You, you, you made a great point about the pathologist and uh, uh, you know they're, they're sort of scraping that away, letting them focus on uh, the issue so that they can uh, put their mind on that, if you will. Uh, but tell us about the priorities. We're going to shift the priorities. And uh, well, what do you got on your uh, your top two or three that you're trying to focus on this year? Uh, yes, I think we all have a great question. I think we all have priorities as a group here. I, I know one of them for us at the uh, Joint Artificial Intelligence Center is to acquire uh, talent <laughs> because we are we are at a great uh, you know need for uh, getting talent, talented people that share the passion of uh, Mr. Tinston and Mr. Flanders to bring data and capability and of course and of course AI to bear so that we can uh, we can use it to in the delivery of healthcare. Uh, one of our priorities besides the talent is. Uh, to keep the human at the center of all of this. You, you started out the conversation appropriately so with the, with the concern that you know, folks can take AI and, and sort of have a dystopic view of, of what that means when, when it comes to healthcare. Uh, well, our team at the, at the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center recognizes that and, and you know, not, in, not, not to, uh, uh, to take away from any of those concerns, we have uh, policy folks in place, we have uh, you know, ethical uh, standards that we are applying to all of our uh, projects and programs. And so we're keeping a, an, an eye and a, and, a, and a sort of a North Star for us of keeping the human at the center of all of that. Uh, so I, I started out with that use case by telling you that the pathologists were at the center of that. We were just simply, as, as Mr. Tinson said, just supporting, you know, we're giving the tools, the data and the equipment and the technology to help them do their jobs better, uh, to help them do their jobs better, helping to have the healthcare provider leverage technology and uh, data to do their jobs better. So always having the human at the center at the intersection of where data and technology, people and the work come together, uh, that's really what we're doing. So as we deploy all of these uh, great and novel capabilities, we know that it'll take the, uh, it'll take the people that are actually using uh, the uh, solution to, to really be the vanguards for how this gets uh, rolled out. You know, uh, just to give you a very quick anecdote, but, but one that's very appropriate to the times that we're living in, and it sort of exemplifies what our priorities are, and, and that is to accelerate the adoption of this technology. So Rene Lenaik, you guys may, have, may not uh, know who he is, but uh, those of us in healthcare know that he's the person that invented the 
stethoscope. Now you see stethoscopes, they're ubiquitous. They're all over the place. Everyone's probably seen one and probably played with one as a child and your doctors used it on you. Well, he, de he developed that thing back in the 1800s. You know, it took 30 years for people to adopt it widespread because they just didn't understand it. They didn't really you know, appreciate what it could do. They didn't understand how it could enhance the diagnostic capabilities of, 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 of a practitioner using this, this funny looking thing. Well, we don't want that to 30 years to go by before the rest of the pathologists in the community start using this kind of technology. We wanna accelerate the adoption. And so kind of going back to those principles that, that General Grown has sort of laid out for us, you know, accelerate the adoption of AI at scale uh, and, and in delivering these enterprise services with the help of all of our partners uh, here uh, is really what we're about. That's, that's definitely one of our priorities, keeping the human at the center uh, looking for talent and accelerating adoption of AI. Those, those are really our priorities. Three very important ones, and we really do appreciate that. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. Verizonenterprise.com slash federal IT. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Did you know the current Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays positions pure storage highest on ability to execute and farthest right on completeness of vision? It is all about managing the data, and Pure is dedicated to transforming the complexities of government IT by delivering a modern data experience. Check out the Gartner Report and learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about healthcare IT in the federal service, and we're going over priorities right now. And I'm gonna toss it over to you, Lisa. And uh, you talked about a lot of different efforts, a lot of different activities going on over there. Give us your top two or three priorities for, uh, for this year that you all are working on. Well, thank you for the question, Luke. Of course, our priority continues to be interoperability and patient empowerment. I also want to note though, that we are working diligently on the administration's priorities. Uh, COVID response and recovery, of course, continues to be a priority for us. Uh, I want to give my condolences to anyone who has lost loved ones during this pandemic uh, and or has been adversely affected in any way with your own health. Um, you have my condolences and thank you to all of our healthcare workers who have been working for over a year diligently and all of the first line essential workers as well. Uh, as far as our work in regard to COVID response and recovery, we are, as you know, responsible for making sure information flows, and we have recognized that we need to do more in regard to ensuring information is flowing from the public health agencies to clinicians and from clinicians to public health agencies. 
So that cycle uh, is going to be an area of focus for us, making sure that that data moves and that everyone has what they need at the point of care, especially to ensure that if uh, another pandemic occurs, and some people say that it's not if, but when, uh, that we are better positioned from an information sharing perspective. We also uh, are working on equity. Uh, and my boss, our national coordinator, Dr. Mickey Trapassi, talked about equity by design. And so we really are looking to ensure equity in every aspect of the policies and programs that we influence and that we implement. Uh, we are looking at equity, not just from the perspective of um, the healthcare system itself, but still, for all of the trillions of dollars that we put into healthcare, the biggest determinant of someone's health and life expectancy is still their zip code. So we have to look at social determinants of health. So we are looking at that uh, as an area of focus as well. And we continue to just push forward for standards-based approaches to health information technology in every area. Pat, how about at, uh, at uh, your agency there? What's your, what's your, uh, what's your priorities for this year? So uh, Genesis, obviously, and everything associated with that is first and foremost. Absolutely. However, I have two other things. Um, so back to the way we were born, right? Army, Navy, and Air Force treatment facilities, mm -hmm. each with different ways for how they bought technical support services. Mm. So technical skilled labor, those kinds of things. So overall, there's about 200 individual contracts out there for that purpose we are replacing those 200 contracts with about a dozen. And um, the first is in source selection right now. Um, so it's the MHS Enterprise IT Services contract. That first contract's very important. Um, it will replace six contracts that are run um, out of my headquarters and it will help us um, with award of the follow-on contracts. So mm -hmm. a lot going on there. And the second is we run a 350 person global help desk that the sun never sets on. It's it's the number you call when you have a problem wherever you are in the world. Mm. The software that we used to run that um, we're replacing, um, the go live for that is this coming Friday over the holiday weekend. And um, that's a really big thing. It, it will affect every single treatment facility in the Department of Defense. So that's a huge priority. Bill, how about at Electronic Health Records? Top priority for you this year? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple. Sure. So when I talk to my team, we talk about operationalization and we talk about convergence. So those are fine words, um, but what do they mean to us at the firm and what we're trying to accomplish? From the operationalization perspective, I mentioned up front. The firm is here to be the, the, to bring together the work of the VA and the DOD on a single common federal health record. But you can't have three operators of that federal health record. You need, a, you asked me about programs before, you effectively need a program manager, an operator to bring all the pieces together and make sure that we effectively deliver that to those two departments, the US Coast Guard who is already using it and, and potentially other healthcare providers in the federal healthcare enterprise. You know, we've had conversations with NOAA, we've had conversations with NSA, we've had conversations with, with uh, the Indian Health Service. And I don't know if those will come to fruition, but I think we're poised uh, as a firm and as a federal uh, enterprise to offer capabilities that to, to smaller healthcare providers in the federal space that they probably couldn't afford because DOD 
and VA have borne the upfront costs of creating this tremendous capability. So, so pushing that forward, being the single operator, pushing that forward, continuing to drive the, this is the convergence piece, the convergence between the DOD, the VA and the Coast Guard from a functional and a technical perspective so that we can make sure that we, we simplify and create, simplify the operations of the, the IT that supports the healthcare delivery, but also create as much um, commonality in the healthcare delivery side so that they're interoperable from a process perspective as much as appropriate for those health systems. And I'm not a physician or a doctor or a healthcare provider in any way. Um, I don't wanna make those decisions. I wanna enable them to make those decisions by taking the, the IT out of their decision loop. Um, and the real priority, and I think kind of a demonstration or a prototype for much of this from a firm perspective is the implementation and the planning for the implementation of the Federal Healthcare Center uh, at uh, the James A. Lovell Healthcare Center, which is a joint VA DOD facility in North Chicago. Um, getting that right, getting a synchronous deployment there and the firm is leading that. I think that will be a prototype for what is possible from an IT, health IT perspective to support uh, uh, integrated operations of two massive healthcare systems. And that's a huge priority priority for us in this upcoming year. We're gonna wrap it up with this last question that we always like to ask. And I'm gonna start with you, Nicholas. Uh, and it's about, uh, you know, what, what does the future look like? Uh, what's the demand signal that you're getting as, a, as an entity? Uh, what do you think the, the, the environment looks like two or three years from now? Well, uh, thanks, Luke. And I'll tell you, I think um, there's going to be a lot more gasoline flowing into Bill Tinston's data healthcare IT Bentley. Mm -hmm. I think that's really where we're trying to head to. And I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, during the last uh, time we've been here, we've, we've heard from uh, several experts, the great things that are going on in the industry. I, we're going to see more of, to Tom's point, edge computing and edge processing. Uh, that stuff will be done in data centers closest to where the data is because of the sheer volume of those things. And then I think we'll also see collaboration on a, on a global scale as well. I think that's what I'm most excited about. I love seeing the data derived from all of the diagnostics information and, uh, you know, using that data to build better AI tools uh, like uh, the Captain Ted is, is building out. I think all of that is going to start really developing a lot of steam over the next, say, 12 to 24 months, especially as we come victorious from COVID. Um, that is what I'm most excited about, just seeing the data get where it needs to go for not only diagnostics, but also treatment and uh, making our lives better. Nick Saki at Pure Storage. Um, what's the future look like from, uh, from where your vantage point is? Well, in extending the comments of my, my estimable colleague, Nicholas Spies, we're going to see a, um, a tremendous increase in the scale of computing and uh, scale of data growth uh, in even greater capacity than we have in the recent past. And it's going to drive change in the tools that are used for research, diagnostics, care, and management. It's also going to drive the adoption of infrastructure for on-premises and cloud uh, infrastructure, as well as the interoperability of that data. As Lisa Lewis person said, we've got to have a way for disparate agencies to be able to address disparate data sources and leverage them for insight. Uh, so that's going to that's going to fundamentally transform uh, the underlying infrastructure and the software tools that we use to create that seamless movement of data and management of data across multiple enterprises. So we look to see a tremendous increase in the adoption of Kubernetes, as an example, uh, DevOps and DevSecOps and those modalities of computing that facilitate that, that cross-cloud and cross-infrastructure movement and availability of data. And lastly, we're going to see a tremendous, uh, the mainstream adoption of artificial intelligence and machine learning. 
And you know, just as a just as a point of reference, it was it was thought impossible a year ago that we would have vaccines or even a vaccine for uh, the coronavirus. But when you take a look at the twenty to thirty years of research in virology, the tremendous amount of data that's available, and you add to that the capabilities of artificial intelligence today to help us start analyzing and understanding those things, we may have just broken through in terms of the methodology and, and means by which to start addressing current and future pandemics and even predict the evolution of this current virus. So all of those things are really driven by data availability, bandwidth processing. And we see that we're gonna see to Nicholas's point, uh, a fundamental change in the way we think about data management, data availability and data processing as the idea between cloud and on-premises become blurred by virtue of, of 5G artificial intelligence and tremendously more powerful uh, data processing components and compute networking and storage. Thomas, how about at Verizon? You all are uh, continuing trying to, to stay in front of these, uh, these huge demand. What's it look like in a couple of years? Yeah, so when I think about the future, I not only think about the connected healthcare devices that aren't widely deployed or, or even invented at this point, but I really think about what's the enabler of that. And the enabler is the, is the network of the future. Um, those networks are, are really going to help connect everything. Uh, when I think about those, it's really a symbiotic relationship between a, a terrestrial fiber-based land network coupled with a, maybe a private 5G network overlay, including software-defined networking, edge computing, throw on top of that artificial intelligence software, and, and you've really built a network that's going to enable the future. These type of networks are really critical to enabling technologies such as smart campus, smart building solutions, hyper-precise location services. Um, and it also gives the advantage of incredible speed of deployment uh, of future technologies as they become available. Imagine arriving at a medical center, you enter the parking lot and, and I've been to a lot of medical centers and sometimes it's very hard to find a parking space and, and you've got a smart board, which, you know, you get a smart parking solution that, that helps you find a space. You pull up, you get in your space, all of a sudden an autonomous shuttle comes and ferries you to the building on campus that, that you're uh, trying to get to. You walk into the medical center, an application on your smartphone acknowledges that you've arrived, it checks you in, it provides a wayfinding solution to help you find your way throughout the medical center, um, all of these things are going to be able to, to, to um, be put in place with hyper-precise location services, and it's going to require the network to do that. Um, with the evolutions of, the, of these technologies, it's really going to allow medical centers that, to have sub-centimeter accuracy in regards to where things are on site, whether that's a patient, autonomous meal delivery robot, a piece of medical equipment or even whether something has gone through the sanitation process or not. When you couple this with artificial intelligence, it really has the ability to improve patient care and allow healthcare systems to work more efficiently. Wow, uh, you really have painted a picture of the future. And Bill, you've been talking a lot about sort of what, what, what the overlay looks like. Uh, what can we expect in a couple of years? So you originally asked this as lessons learned. And here's, here's what I heard from Hassan was talking about having the pathologist in the middle of designing the solutions and supporting that process. I think what I, and what I hear here, and it's, God, it's exciting to hear, is this shift from people who are managing IT, and we have to manage IT, there's no question about that. That's our jobs. Manage the capabilities, get the capabilities integrated, follow the standards that ONC helps us with, get the infrastructure in place that Pat helps us with, get the tools in place that all of you do, uh, all of you help create. But what we really have to do is remember, and, and we learned this in the EHR, that we're supporting people. 
it's not even just human-centered design, right? I, I, you hear that, but you're supporting people. So you, you, give, them, you give them new workflows. Um, and and, and I've, I've heard Mr. Flanders talk about this. I've talked about this. What went wrong when DOD first delivered the EHR? Well, one of the stories is we went out and taught people how to use a tool. What we're doing is we're changing their jobs. You have to think about what you're doing to people all the time. I think that is the number one lesson out of all of this is what are you doing to people and how do you help support those people? And, and what are their expectations from you? This is another people element. So when you're delivering new capabilities, there's this tendency and there's a, well, my entire professional lifetime tendency on the IT side for people to never feel like they're done or it's good enough. And the reason I believe that they come to that conclusion is it's like having construction done on your house. You don't wanna let that contractor go until it's perfect. So you're gonna, you're gonna hit the checklist. You're gonna go over it eight times. You're gonna bring family in to help look for nail pops with you. But in fact, if you set a different expectation with the people you're supporting, and, and, and we heard that, we heard CICD, we heard DevSecOps, we heard things that improve the speed to delivery and the, and the, and the connection to relevance. Um, if, if you create an expectation that this is gonna improve every day from here forward, you're not gonna have me coming in doing a massive uh, replacement of your system again, because every partner on here is gonna help drive continuous improvement in this space. And so you're gonna get more. Then they accept it, they embrace it, and then we can move forward. And then the other huge, huge insight that I've picked up, and, and truly this is, this was, you guys are all smarter than me. This was a huge insight for me and everyone talked about it today. If we go back to that automobile and that fuel supply chain analogy, we're really supporting a medical data supply chain here. And we all recognize that we're getting the right transport in place. We're getting the right analytics in place to look at it. We're making sure, uh, Nicholas talked about uh, there are fewer sources of truth and we're getting to a source of truth, be that, be that a, a federated source of, source of truth or not, so that we can all look at the same data or the right people can look at the same data, understand what that data, maybe glean different insights, but not argue about what the right data is because we have a source of truth. And then we got, you know, Hassan creating new sources of data um, um, through, through the, the microscope. I mean, tying all of this together, it's just transformative for how people do their jobs. And we need to focus on the people doing their jobs. And remember, that's why we do IT. I may do it because I think it's cool, but that's not why people give me money to do it. People give me money to do it because they're trying to support patients and healthcare delivery. Captain, uh, what does the future look like for the Jake? I'm sure you all are cooking up a lot of things in the Petri dish there. We are, we are, and you can find out a lot more just coming up in a couple of weeks. We're actually going to be hosting a DOD AI symposium, June 22nd to 23rd, so you can find out all the great things that we're doing there. But, it, you know, uh, Mr. Tinston's passion and, and Mr. Flanders, and both, both, both of the uh, Nicks and, and Tom, you all have reminded me that it's so important to kind of reflect on the past, especially when you're going to answer a question about the vision for the future. So I'll just make this a mention, and, and Lisa uh, Lewis will, will certainly appreciate this. One of my mentors, a uh, almost over a decade ago was the first ONC director and when they stood that office up. And uh, he, wasn't a he wasn't a tech person, he was a physician. And he said, I'm coming here to help uh, give information and technology to help people do their jobs better. And it just, that resonated with me so much. Cause before that, years before that, I wrote a thesis statement. I wrote a thesis on what's wrong with Alta and Vista. <laughs> And here we are, and, and, and there's, a, there's, there's someone on the line that is actually talking about putting an interoperable, you know, unified electronic health record, deploying it for both the VA and 
the DOD. I mean, that was virtually impossible when I wrote that paper. And here we are talking about these amazing things. I just can't help but think that the future is, Luke, very, very bright, very bright. I think so bright, we should all be wearing sunshades right now. Um, and uh, what we're gonna be all doing here is I think bringing technology, data, uh, and bringing those things to the people, to the people to help them do their work better. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. That's the vision for the future that I see. Pat, how about over at the, the, uh, the, the health agency? Um, uh, what's it going to look like in a couple of years? You're going to have your contracts in place. You're going to have some of these tracks laid down. You're going to have your help desk all running perfectly. What's next? What's right. it look like? Right. So, you know, we're building, we're building the skyscraper from the bottom up. Sure. So what we'll have is the, the key enablers will be in place. The network will be there. The electronic health record will be fully fielded, right? And now we capitalize on that investment, right? So we integrate capabilities that couldn't be integrated before because everything was distributed. Things like, you know, a virtual video visit integrated with the EHR or a telecritical care integrated with the EHR and all this equipment now integrated, you know, connected to the EHR that we couldn't connect before. And then, you know, real utopia is that day when um, the first military person retires and all you have to do in the EHR is click the button that says retired. There's no paperwork movement. There's no nothing like we have today. Lisa, take us home, uh, paint a picture of the future. You sort of have been working on the future. What's it look like out there in a couple of years? So for us, uh, we see the future very much as all my colleagues have said. It's what they've all talked about really is the true transformation of how health care is delivered. And it's a transformation similar to what we saw through technology in the transportation industry, uh, in the financial industry, and one of my favorites in how we shop. Uh, technology has changed so much of what we do. That is what is happening in healthcare. And in the future, we will see that come to fruition where we have true interoperability, where we have true exchange and use of data. So our health information is where it needs to be whenever it needs to be there because of fire-based standards and because we don't have information blocking. We will be able to have a healthcare delivery system that works for everyone exactly as it should. Thank you very much. Fascinating show today. And I'd like to thank all of our guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us for this program and thank all of you for your federal service, all the frontline workers, all the healthcare workers that have been fighting the good fight over this, uh, this tumultuous uh, year and change. I'd also like to thank the sponsors here for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.